Let's pray. As we have sung of the Savior who can move mountains and has conquered the grave. So as we come to these verses from Scripture today, in the varied circumstances of our lives, we pray that we might have open hearts, listening ears, and that you might speak to us individually this morning through these verses. Amen. Please do take a seat. I'm going to come up higher, I think. That's better. Unlike Stuart, I know that winter's coming. (laughs) Well, our famous verse this morning is, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's there, up there. It's number three on the list of the most read verses um, on that popular Bible website, Bible Gateway. It's been likened to a balm to the soul. It's one of the most beloved verses in Scripture. But do all things really work together for good? Consider the following. A seemingly healthy 12-year-old girl develops severe migraine headaches. On Friday, she's taken to hospital. On Saturday, she's died. A woman responds to God's call to go into ordained ministry. She's in her final year of training when her husband, out of the blue, announces that he's leaving her. In Las Vegas, last Monday, 59 people were randomly killed, hundreds injured, when a gunman turned an automatic weapons onto the concert crowd. So let's be honest and admit that we have at least two problems with these words by the Apostle Paul, particularly if, for some of us, have been brought up on the King James's translation of the Bible, and I'll come to that a little bit later on. So our verse in the King James Version says, we know that all things work together for good. Now, I suspect that most of us are not as sure as Paul was. We hope that God works all things together for good. We believe that he does. But do we really know that to be true? And secondly, when Paul says, we know that all things work together for good, that somehow seems a bit too definite for us. All things? Yeah, clearly God works for good in some things, but can we really be sure that it's all things? The words might seem true in a theoretical sense or perhaps as a statement of faith, But are they true for every part of life? For some Christians going through hard times, this verse might seem more like a cruel joke than a balm to the soul. The death of a child is not good. Divorce isn't good. Murder isn't good. If 
misused or misunderstood, this verse can produce the opposite effect to that intended by Paul. So what does it mean? What does it promise? Can we really believe it? To explore this, we need to take a longer view. We need to see the verse in the context of the whole of Romans 8. And we also need to consider what this verse means by good. And we need to understand this verse in the everyday circumstances of our lives, whatever they might be, good or bad, or perhaps for most of us, somewhere in between. So, let's first look at the bigger picture. Paul wrote to Christians in Rome in a situation where it was becoming increasingly dangerous to be known as a follower of Jesus. In AD 64, the Emperor Nero deflected blame onto the Christians for the great fire of Rome. Many were tortured and killed. And against this rather gloomy backdrop, in chapter 8 of Romans, Paul reminds his readers of all the riches that they have in Christ. In Christ, God is no longer a remote being but they're members of God's family. They're his sons and his daughters. They can address God by the familiar Aramaic name of Abba, rather like the equivalent, English equivalent of Daddy. As members of God's family, they're co-heirs with Christ. In time, they are sharing the glory that Christ himself now has. And so Paul has argued at the beginning of the chapter that their present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that they have to come. God is working his eternal purpose out, and ultimately, it's good. They need to see the bigger picture. And it's important for us to understand that this verse is addressed to us today, specifically as Christians, present-day members of God's family, helping us to, to see the bigger picture. But this is where the various translations of Roman 8.28, our verse today, get a little bit tricky. Because the older translations, maybe the ones that you're most familiar with, say, all things... All things work together for good to them who love God. It implies that whatever things happen, whatever happens, is good. And so a tragedy only looks that way if we haven't got enough faith. Now, supposing I have a car accident, and when I took my crumpled car into the repair shop, the guy looks at the car and says... Madam, your car hasn't had an accident. It, it's just been rearranged. <laughs> well, I take one look at my shattered car and I'd say, you're crazy. And I'd go elsewhere. But the NIV, the New International Version, modern version that we read today, the ones that we have um, here in church, our, our verse reads just subtly differently. It reads, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You spot the difference? 
in this translation, Paul is, as it were, erecting a sign over the unexplainable mysteries of life, a sign that reads, God is at work. How? We're not always sure. To what end? Good, not evil. And that's what Romans 8.28 is saying. When tragedy strikes us, it can be very easy for our horizons to shrink in and our world to diminish. We only have the energy to cope with our immediate situation. And it's in those circumstances that we can lose sight of God's wider purposes for us. And it's in the context of those earlier verses in chapter 8 that Paul is urging us to remember God's bigger picture for us as Christians. And it is ultimately good. We mustn't judge an end by its beginning. But what do we understand by the good for which God works in our lives? For most of us, I suspect that good equals things like health, good relationships, a long life, money, nice place to live. We tend to think of the good life as being a better set of circumstances. But actually, this is not what Paul is meaning here. He defines good for us in the very next verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Verse 29. In other words... God is at work in our lives, in all things, making us more like Jesus Christ. It's spiritual growth that Paul is talking about here, not necessarily a happy outcome. And this is what is at the heart of our verse. Now, some 25 years ago, as some of you will know, those of you who have been in the church for a while, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was a tough time, very tough time. I was a relatively young mum, and the outcome at diagnosis was actually very uncertain. I've been a Christian for many years. Life had been kind to me. I I hadn't experienced anything much in the way of tragedy or, or personal hardship. I have faith in God. Yeah, but I'd never actually had to put that faith seriously to the test. In the months of uncertainty and anxiety that followed, the one thing that I learned was that when I called out to God, he was indeed there. And I thank God that that discovery was one that David and I were able to make together, that we travelled this sort of road together. Looking back, I can see that illness as an important event that drew me closer to God. And it also helped me to evaluate my priorities in life. I think it's probably true to say that I wouldn't be standing here in front of you in a dog collar if I hadn't had that cancer and I hadn't actually allowed God to work in me through it. I believe that it was this outcome, my deeper relationship with God, which was the more important outcome 
in God's eternal economy than my physical healing. Now, I offer this very diffidently because I haven't been in the shoes of someone who has been told that they only have a very limited time to live. But I have been alongside people at the end of their lives and I've witnessed the spiritual growth that hard circumstances can bring and the peace that accompanies it, a peace which is irrespective of situation. Many of you will remember Andy Cowie, now vicar in Thames Ditton, but previous member of our church. Um, A number of years ago, he spent some time in China with a mission agency. Now, it's not easy to be a Christian in China. Christians are often discriminated against and sometimes actively persecuted. But the Chinese church, unlike the church here in the West, is growing fast. Now, Andy recounted this story, which has stuck in my mind over a number of years. When asked by some Westerners to pray for them, a Chinese, uh, sorry, but, but of, of how to pray for them, a Chinese Christian replied, there are two things that we don't want you to pray for us. We don't want you to pray that our persecution will stop. And we don't want you to pray that we will become like you Christians in the West. It's quite challenging, isn't it? It's in the providence of God that we often learn more in the darkness than we do in the light. However, things can be very much clearer in a rearview mirror. I can look back and see God especially at work in my life through having cancer, bearing out the truth of this verse that this good has come out of a bad situation in terms of my deepened relationship with him. With hindsight, I can see this. But what if you're going through something that seems unbearable right now? Someone commented to me recently that when she was going through a particularly difficult time, she hated this verse. It was only afterwards that she could see the truth of it. And so I think it's important to, at this stage to put in a caveat. Sometimes in our zeal to protect God, we try and explain why bad things happen to good people. It's almost always a bad idea. We're like little children looking into the face of an infinitely wise father. It's not possible we should understand all he does. It's enough that we love him and that we know that he's there. Remember Job and his so-called comforters trying to explain away Job's misfortunes? They only made things worse. God's values and ours are not always the same. And we must understand that we will often not understand at all. Romans 8.28 isn't teaching us to call evil good, or simply smile with gritted teeth and through the tears and pretend that everything's okay. But it is teaching us that no matter what happens to us, no matter how terrible, no matter how unfair, that our God is there. He hasn't left us. His purposes are being worked out as much in the darkness 
as they are in the light. And so, in all things, we can be more than conquerors. Because God is with us. He is for us. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. How do we know? We look to verse 32. God didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We see in the cross that clash of human evil on the one side and God's plan to redeem a fallen world on the other out of love for us. And we see in Christ's resurrection the triumph of God's love. And so Paul concludes this chapter of Romans with a final truth that carries through the finite circumstances of our earthly lives and into all eternity. And that truth is that absolutely nothing can separate us from God's love. Let me read it again to you. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the circumstances of our lives will be very different for everyone here this morning. It may be that you are in a good place at the moment. I hope so. If that's so, then you might be able to look back at a time in your life when things weren't going so well. I can guarantee that somewhere you're going to find such a place. And ask yourself, what did I learn through that experience? Could I, with hindsight, see God working for good in those circumstances, drawing me closer to him? Believing in Romans 28 and thanking God for working in the dark times will give us confidence to face future difficulties if and when they come our way. However, it may be that you're here today right in the middle of a dark time in your life. I might have convinced you in your head this morning that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. But you may find that hard to believe in your heart at the moment. In those circumstances, it might be more helpful simply to cling to the promise that nothing can separate us from God's love. Paul casts his net over the full range of human experience, even at the extremes, we're not separated from God's love. When we're in a dark place, it's difficult to see the road ahead and even know God's guiding presence. I'm going to leave you with a poem by Thomas Merton, an American theologian and monk who spent his childhood actually um, in a school down the road at Ripley. It's printed on the back of your handouts. He says, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. 
nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I'm following your will doesn't mean that I'm, necess- I'm actually doing it. But I believe that the desire to please you, in fact, does please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. This poem, the prayer rather, doesn't have the triumphalistic ring that Paul's writing has, but it does encapsulate two important aspects of Romans 28 and a faith in dark places. The desire to follow God, to become more Christ-like, and the trust that God will not leave us on his own, that he loves us. Can we still believe in Romans 8.28? I believe that we can. It's teaching us one great truth. All things ultimately contribute to the ultimate good of those who love God. That doesn't answer every question, but it does answer the big question. Does God know what he's doing? Yes, he does. And we know him. And nothing can separate us from his love. And that's enough.